Okay. Now, the next passage of Scripture that we come to as I go verse by verse through Matthew is the account of Christ riding into Jerusalem on the donkey uh, at what years later has become known as Palm Sunday, a reference to the palm branches that people by the road took down and waved in an act of worship to the Lord Jesus. So uh, because on our annual calendar, Palm Sunday is so close, I'm going to take a few weeks off from going through Matthew and just share with you a few different uh, messages that I've had going through my head for a while, things that have been on my heart. And, uh, and then on Palm Sunday, I'll come back to the verse-by-verse study of, of Matthew because it'll, it'll, tie, it'll tie right into it, okay? And then we'll have our uh, dinner that evening as well. So, uh, so what I want to talk about today in the time that I have is I want to talk about prayer. Prayer is probably something that should be talked about more in church. It's something definitely that should be practiced more in church. And it is something that should be, must be, absolutely, essentially practiced in the individual Christian's life. If you're not regularly, consistently, and fervently, and daily in prayer, you're not practicing Christianity. I'm not judging whether or not you're a Christian. That's between you and the Lord. But the practice of Christianity as it's lived out, its chief activity is to pray. Without question, that is number one on the list of things that Christians just do. They pray. They pray because that is their lifeline, if you will, between God and their own souls. The Word of God as presented to us on the pages of the Bible, that is our necessary food by which we feed, and man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how we know Him. That's how we know His will. So the Bible has that crucial, integral place in the life of every believer. But I would say even chiefly over that, I would say is the act of prayer. Why would I put prayer on... I mean, they're both essential. Why would I put prayer a notch above even reading the Bible? was because for many years early on in the church... They didn't always have the Bible like we do, but the church has always had prayer. From day one, the church gave itself to prayer consistently. And so it's something that we should realize that in the New Testament, and I know I'm not going to turn to any verses from Psalms today, And it seems a very strange thing for me, personally, because I read Psalms so, so much. Um, But I'm I'm going to talk about prayer without ever mentioning the Psalms, which in a way seems silly. But but kind of what I have on my heart was to see how the writers of the New Testament, in particular the Apostle Paul, but also there's one verse from John and there's one verse from Jude that deals with this, I wanted to see how they prayed because there are so many places, so many places in the letters that they wrote where they said to their audience and by virtue of us inheriting all of this to us, uh, 
here's how I pray for you. I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying for you. Or, I want you to pray for me, and this is what I want you to pray for me. I think that, if you don't mind my saying, praying corporately is something that our church is very weak at. And it's something we ought to try to correct whether it be in prayer meetings like after church today or on Thursday night at 7 or the men's fellowship or the women's fellowship or in the youth group or in whatever meetings there are or in maybe some way that we haven't thought of to try to implement yet. It ought to be something that our church tries better at to correct because these people, these believers, when they met, they prayed. However, it's also very much and probably even more so applicable to your own life and your own walk with the Lord. And all I can say as the pastor is, for someone who has been trying to call people to prayer meetings for almost 18 years now, um, I trust that even though we're not very good at coming together to do them for whatever reason, I trust that's because you all have a vibrant individual prayer life with the Lord. But if we're not praying, we're not walking. If we're not praying, we're not living as Christians. If we're not praying, we're not practicing Christianity. It is the essential activity of every, every, every Christian. And there are so many times in these letters, listen, the epistles of the New Testament, they stand out and they stand as a collection by itself. It stands as a collection by itself in that they are the things that the apostles wrote to those early churches and to those early Christians in which so much of what we understand and even practice today was established and affirmed and just set in motion and has been continuing for 2,000 years. The Old Testament is the Word of God. The Old Testament presents to us the person of God and the works of God the Father like nothing else. It is essential for your life to know the Old Testament. The Gospels are what they are. The Gospels are those presentations of Jesus, of who He is, of how he fits into the, essentially fits into the redemptive plan of God, presentation of the gospel, God's redemptive plan, shows us the miracles, the works, the teachings, all designed to show us that Jesus is the one that the Old Testament prophesied would come in to bring us redemption. So the gospels have their place. And, and it's more than that, obviously. It's a simple little summary there. The book of Acts has its place in the historic narrative in showing us the birth of the church and showing us the early, especially missionary activity of the church and the gospel preaching and the establishment of churches and all of the hardship and suffering that early Christians endured. That is a critical and important record for all Christians that we ought to read and study and know, be very well versed with and emulate. So the book of Acts has its place. At the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation has its place. It is a record not just of the end of times, but it's actually a record of how Jesus feels about the church, right? Those, those seven letters in chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus has some things to say to his church. 
But then on from there, you get a glimpse of heaven, you get a glimpse of future things, and every Christian ought to be very well versed in what is coming. The book of Revelation, hand in hand with many of the things that the prophets, minor and major prophets of the Old Testament said, give us that eschatological view of the end of the world and what is coming. So it has its place. And then there's these letters. And these letters have their place. These letters, roughly starting with the book of Romans and going through the book of Jude. I call them books, but they're letters, really. Most of them were written by Paul. Some were written by Peter. Some by jo- a few by John. Jude's in there. Listen, these, James, didn't want to forget James. These, uh, these letters are written and they establish for us, and they give us, they give us insight and in a glimpse to what the apostles, when they were in that fragile, critical, historic time of establishing Christianity, they give us that view of what was going on. Here are the issues. Here are some problems. Here's what's important. What they come back to time and time and time again especially in Paul's writing, is the important place that prayer has in the life of the church, in the life of Christians, and not just the place that it has, but also in the practice of it, like the content of it. What were they praying for? I'm going to pray to start our service here and uh, to start the sermon here, and I just want you to follow along. I have a whole bunch of Bible verses written down And uh, I didn't just go through and and pick out all the Bible verses that mention prayer or anything like that. I read through them all and thought about them and kind of divided them up and characterized them. As I go through some of them, I'll try to go through them in like the order they appear in the Bible so there's not too much turning back and forth. You'll just be all turning one direction. But, uh, and I won't get through them all, but I want to get into your minds and into your spirit the importance and the priority of prayer and then, like, how it's done. And look, if you have a vibrant prayer life, then the things that I'm saying to you, you should find very affirming. And you should find very much, like, that's, you know, this is exact, this describes where I'm at, and I'm so grateful, and I'm so thankful. That's part of preaching, is to affirm the good practices of, of people who are Christians and following the Lord. But if you read these things and hear these things and you find that these aren't really part of my life, then allow the Lord to steer you and to teach you and to change you. Probably what most Christians will find is a little bit of both, right? So let's let the Lord both affirm and encourage and instruct and direct us through his word today when it comes to that critical practice of prayer. And let's do it with that in mind. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you that we can be here together today. And I pray, Lord God, now that as I have prepared and read these things and as you know that they are in my own heart, I thank you for my own life of praying to you. And... uh, I know it can be better, but I'm thankful very much for what it is, and I pray you draw me in even deeper, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, uh, for all of my brothers and sisters that 
it would be greatly impressed upon us the priority activity that prayer is among your children and that that means us, not just a subject in a book, not just something for other people, but for us. It's instruction for us. I pray that you would impress that on us and give us strength, understanding and strength to obey. And I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, there's always lots of things going on in the news, right? When you, and you come into church, maybe you wonder, is, is Pastor Lou going to say something about politics and elections and things like that? Or is, is he going to say something about the coronavirus? Or, or, is, uh, or is he going to say something about you know, whatever sorts of things are going on, the, the tornadoes in, in Tennessee or, or whatever it might be? And all those things are very important. And it's important to keep ourselves apprised and abreast of, of things like that. But, and it might, even be, it might even be that you think that we should be praying about those things. And if the Lord puts that on your heart, you absolutely should be praying about those things. But I want you to go a little deeper than that. Because I think that, like, when we come into church, it's important while there might be times where it's important to address something that's going on in the world, I've always viewed, especially the preaching time in church, as a bit of a separate time from all that. It's an opportunity to come in. Listen, it'll all still be there when you leave, right? So it's a time, and that's not to dismiss it, because it's important and it affects us all, right? But what's important is that we gather together and we listen to God, and we listen to His voice, And that requires sometimes shutting even important things out and off and coming into his word. This is one of those occasions, I believe. I want to start, I know it, well, let's go ahead. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, as it says in the bulletin. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. And I want you to see something. I read this passage recently, but I didn't break it down very much. But I'm in this passage of scripture almost every day. Um, Colossians 1.9 says this. I suppose I should back up to verse 3, which really sets it up. We give, at the beginning of the letter, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And he goes on to describe there how they heard of the faith that was in them and how they're bringing forth fruit, the grace of God is at work in them. All these reasons why he prays for them. So he says in verse 3, we're praying always for you. And then when he gets to verse 9, he comes back to the subject of prayer and gets into the content of his prayer. Eventually. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, Do not cease to pray for you. Now, before we get into the content, I have to stop for a little bit and dwell on that statement, do not cease to pray for you. Right there in that statement, you see in one of these letters, an apostle telling a church that we, we meaning, when he says we also, he means those who are his fellow companions, the Timothys, the Barnabas in the early days, the Silases, you know, the Epaphrases, who was kind of a go-between both of them, the people like that. He says, when we're together, we don't cease to pray for you. Right? They're always praying for him. 
And when you talk about prayer, one of the things that you have to realize is that the Bible, like this, makes it a great priority. Praying was something that he just always did. Praying was something that they just always did. Let me just quote for you a few verses, all right? If you want to write these down, you can look into them a little deeper for yourself. I'm going to turn to one of them in a minute, but listen to this. Well, Colossians 1.9 here, it says, we do not cease to pray for you. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul commanded that church to pray without ceasing. So Paul says to the Colossians, we pray unceasingly. Then he says to the Thessalonians, I want you to pray without ceasing. Right? When he writes to Timothy, who's in leadership of the church at Ephesus, he says, I desire that the men pray everywhere. Again, to the Thessalonian church, he says, brethren, pray for us. In Romans 12, you know, Romans 12 is the break-off point at the book of Romans where the theological part ends and the practical part starts, right? Here's the doctrine of your salvation for 11 chapters. And then in chapter 12, he starts off, I beseech you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world any longer, etc., etc." And he goes through some other words and he starts to describe how Christians ought to act. And among the things that he says is you should be continuing steadfastly in prayer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, in writing to married couples, there's a PG-13 moment here, right? But I know you can handle this. He's writing to married couples and he's talking about the danger of them depriving one another, you know, with regards to their physical intimacy. But then he says except if you're giving yourself to fasting and prayer. So that's profound that like the one thing that would be like the exception was if mutually together, a husband and wife decided, you know what? We're just going to devote ourselves to fasting and to praying. That's how much this, this concept of prayer, not concept, this practice of prayer rises up. Even in the context of marriage, husbands or wives are, it's affirmed at least among husbands and wives that if you're going to mutually agree to abstain from for a short time from your physical relationship to devote yourself to fasting and prayer, that gets endorsed in the scripture. So important is prayer. In Colossians, in this very book, later in chapter 4, he says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with all thanksgiving. Do you know what vigilance is? Vigilance means you keep your eyes wide open. In other words, you are always watching. You are always looking. You are keeping your eyes open, and the context of Colossians is you're keeping your eyes open to spiritual things, and you are praying. Turn to, one of these we can turn to here. Turn to, uh, oh, before you turn, I know I said I was going to focus on the epistles here, but let me at least make one reference to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, when, and I've made reference to this before, it's very well known, Peter and John are thrown in prison, and they're let out of prison. Before they were let out of prison, they were strictly warned, do not preach in the name of Jesus anymore, or else. Right? They get out of prison, they go back to their friends, and you know what the first thing they all do together is? What? They pray. 
You know what they prayed for? More boldness to do the very thing that we were just commanded not to do. You've heard me say this before, I know. And you're aware of it even from your own Bible reading. But that just shows you the priority activity that it was for the church to pray. Peter goes back after being let out of prison. And the first thing they do, he doesn't even like take a break and go to bed and sleep for a while. He walks in the house and immediately, boom, they go to prayer and say, God, look on their threats and give us strength to do the very thing they just told us not to do because we ought to obey you and not men. God answered that prayer. He shook the house where they were. He literally shook, literally physically shook the house where they were. And they all were filled with boldness, and they went everywhere preaching the word. And they suffered for it. But I want you to see the priority activity prayer is. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why do you need armor? Because, because where you live and because who's the ruler of it. That's Satan, right? So that you can stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. The devil is always scheming. He is always plotting. He always has deceptive plans and work. He walks around like a roaring lion seeking who may devour. So you need to put on your armor. And then with great eloquence, it describes all of these uh, pieces of armor. And it talks about your waist with girded with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And he says, above all, the shield of faith with which you can quench those darts of the wicked one, the helmet of salvation, and then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then when you get to verse 18, see, all of those things were like things that were like kind of, uh, it was sort of like he was using a soldier and a picture of a soldier's weaponry and armor as illustrative about how spiritually you need to be geared up to walk through your life as a Christian because there are so many things that Satan throws at you. But then in verse 18, the, the if I may say, the clever illustration ends, and there's nothing clever about this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and he could stop there, but he doesn't, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me. I mean, Paul, Paul is so committed to prayer. Paul is so devoted to prayer and is so much trying to get these people to pray that he's like, hey, you know what? If these people are going to listen to this and they're actually going to pray, I want to make sure I'm in on this. You know, I'm telling them how important it is to prayer, enduring through everything, all the time, praying always. And hey, if they're going to obey it, I want to make sure they remember me too, right? So pray for me too, that a door would be open for me, that I might preach as I ought to preach and share the gospel, right? You see that? But it's those words, praying always. Praying always. How are you going to walk through life where there is... Listen, the devil does not care that you find prayer hard or you find prayer loathsome or you find prayer boring. Satan doesn't care. He's still going to try to destroy you. Satan is going to try to destroy you. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me right now because I'm talking to you. 
Satan is trying to destroy you. That makes me look like some religious, fanatic, crazed lunatic in the eyes of the world, and I don't care, you know that. But I love you, and I love the Lord, and you need to know, Satan is trying to destroy you. Like Peter said, like Peter was told by Jesus, he's trying to sift you. And Paul says, always praying, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. When he says being watchful to this end, what he means is you need to watch and make sure very, very carefully that you do not neglect prayer. Let me tell you something now. I almost titled this message The Pastor's Prayer because I so wanted to just stand up and talk to you personally because uh, I had so many things personally that I wanted to share about prayer. And I, I, I decided to back off from that. It's not really my job to tell you stories about myself. I want you to hear about the Word of God. But I do want you to know this personally. Prayer is not an activity that I find that just comes naturally to me in my flesh. Maybe it is to you. God bless you if he gave you that because that's a great gift. I am more the kind of person who has to discipline myself to pray. That's, that, that has no reflection on anything inadequate about God or anything that I think is like lacking in his power or anything like that. But that's why I often say to you, that when you least feel like praying is when you most need to. And let me tell you something. I, I am standing here in front of you and telling you that is, that is one of the great MOs for my life because I drag myself to my place to pray and my time to pray, even if I get to it slow some days, I make sure I get to it because I know that Satan's trying to destroy me. I know that I need strength. I know that I need wisdom. I know that I need to be watchful to this end. You can't, it, when he says be watchful to this end, he's saying you be careful that you are deliberate about praying. You listen, I don't know what you think praying in the Spirit means, prayer and all supplication in the Spirit, but praying in the Spirit does not mean pray when you feel like it. Praying in the Spirit means that you are led and you are guided by His Spirit as you pray. In other words, every type of request, every type of prayer, every type of supplication is led and guided by God. It is in the Spirit. It is not in the flesh. You understand? But there are going to be times in your life when maybe it doesn't come quite so easy and naturally to you and you don't feel like it. And those are the times that you need to be deliberate about it. And I listen... You need to come down from lofty Mount whatever where you think that like praying for a Christian, you know, the, like, like I hear people say praying is like breathing, you know. It's like, no, it's not. Praying is hard. Jesus would go up onto a mountain and pray all night. Jesus, before he was betrayed, went into the garden to pray and told his disciples, Peter, James, and John, stay here and pray. And when he went to pray and he came back, what were they doing? That's Peter, James, and John. And that happened three times. And I ain't Peter, James, and John. Pardon the loose language there. It's hard. But you've got to get yourself to it. It's a priority. He says, 
with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, for all the saints, for all the saints. Who are the saints? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get the, the Catholic notion of like saint this and saint that out of your head. It's nonsense. It's nowhere in the Bible. Sorry if that offends. It's not. When the Bible speaks of the saints, it's speaking of your brothers and sisters in Christ who have been saved by the grace of God because of their faith in Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be praying for each other. And Paul says also pray for me that utterance may be given to me so that I might open my mouth boldly and speak as I ought to speak. So you should be praying for each other. I'm going to talk about the kinds of things you should be praying for each other. But you should also be praying for each other to witness and to have open doors for the gospel and to speak the gospel to other people as they ought to. Do you do that? When you pray, Do you pray for your brothers and sisters that they may be good witnesses and share the gospel? Go back to Colossians. I can tell you now we're probably going to talk about this for a couple of weeks, but that's fine. I have four weeks to play with, so to speak. Not that I consider myself to be playing at all. I take this very seriously, trust me. But these are things that need to be... I mean, this is it. This is the height of Christian practice is prayer. We have to get better at it. We have to, be, we have to do it right. So know that. You need to be watchful. Listen, the things we've established so far, if you're following, are this. Number one, prayer is the priority activity in your life. If you're, not, if you're not walking in prayer, you're not walking. You can fix it simply by starting. God will guide you. He will meet you. God will meet you. When, you. when you devote yourself to prayer and you go wherever it is you may be, God will meet you there. Yes, he will meet you. You will have a personal appointment with God. He will be on time and he will be there waiting for you. When you go to him in Jesus' name, in all humility, you meet with God. God. Isn't that beautiful? We need to be better at it. Get yourself to it, brothers and sisters. It's a priority activity. And number two, you've got to push yourself into it sometimes. You have to be watchful. You have to make sure you're praying. You can't just wind up the auto. Maybe you can. Maybe, maybe there are some of you that it's just autopilot. You wake up in the morning and boom, you just start praying and you don't even think about it. Listen, God bless you. Thank God. That should be part of your prayers to thank God for that. Right? But for a lot of us, I think it's more like let's, you know, we're maybe running a little late, we're tired, and, you know, maybe I'll just put it off today or, or whatever. We all have moments like that. You got to be watchful. You got to be watchful. That means I'm carefully watching to make sure that I persevere with all supplication and prayer for all the saints. So if you're following, those are the two points we've made so far. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the content of the prayer. Here's what I just said. We need, we need to pray for all the saints. We need to pray for each other. Should you pray for each other when you're sick? Yes. You, you should pray for yourself when you're sick. Did you know that? James wrote about prayer. Is anyone sick? Let him pray. Right? 
So you should, when you, you, when you feel sickness or there's some issue, you should be praying yourself. And should you ask other people to pray? Yes. The Bible in the same passage in James says you can even go to the elders of the church and ask them to anoint you with oil and pray for you. And, and that's something that we practice and that we do, right? So yes, you should pray for each other. Should you pray for each other for things like, like we pray for our kids? Kids get prayed for a lot, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But we should be praying for each other as well. But do you just pray that your kids have nice friends, that your kids grow up and meet somebody and get married, that your kids... Yes, and yes, you should pray for those things. But I want to tell you that, and you can think in yourself, in your own mind, of a list of the kind of sort of earthly concerns, earthly concerns that you have. And I want you to know that the Lord is very welcoming and receiving of all of those concerns. Peter said, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's a reference to praying, right? So he does care about that. But, but, if that is the extent of your praying for each other, you have not delved into enough what the scriptures say. And there's, there, are, there are several passages like this one in, first, or in Colossians 1.9. So I'm reading there again. Look. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. That's what we've been talking about up until now. Now we go into the content of what his prayer was. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And then more of a description of how He qualified us he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. I, I go to this passage in my Bible every morning when I'm praying. I say every. I always try to. I admit there are times that I fail to get to it. Um, I did this morning, surely. And, but, but I go to this and I, just, I make this my prayer. May I say to you, this is not a passage of Scripture where Christians are commanded to do these things. This is not Paul commanding people to walk worthy of the Lord. He does that elsewhere. But, but he's not commanding them. This is not, he's not commanding them to increase in the knowledge of God. He's not commanding them to be strong. He's not commanding them to be qualified. He's praying for them to be those things. And what I'm saying to you is these are the kinds of things we should be praying for for each other. You, want to, you, want, you wonder why when Jesus spoke to the church in those seven letters of the book of Revelation, still in the first century A.D., why so many of those letters are hard. And he says, like to the church at Sardis, you're dead. Or he says to the church of Laodicea, you're lukewarm and I'm going to spit you out of your mouth. To another church, he says, you're a synagogue of Satan. These are Jesus' words to his church. I wonder... I wonder if some of what we miss is spiritually we miss how important it is to pray for each other like this. May I explain to you these things and then that might be enough for today. And I have other passages and we're going to come back to it next week. So maybe this will be enough for today is this one. But listen, 
We don't cease to pray for you. We talked about that. Now, there's, there's basically three specific requests that he makes in all those words. And I want to say to you that this is how you should pray for me and I should pray for you, and I do, and how we should be praying for one another. And I wonder if some of those things that Jesus said to those churches in Revelation will rise above them if we will come to the Lord in all sincerity and pray for each other like this. Pray for your kids. Pray for how they do in school. Pray for your job. Pray for your finance. Pray for your sickness. Pray for all those things. Yes, but pray for this too. Please. Listen. Number one, filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What is he asking? What is his request there? I'm praying for you that you would not just know God's will, but you would be filled with it, that you would be consumed with what God's will is in your life. Look, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So what he's praying for is that the knowledge of God's will would completely fill and consume you as you increase in knowing him and as you increase in wisdom and as you increase in spiritual understanding. Lord, as they read your word, as they study your word, as they walk more and more with you, may they grow and be completely consumed with what your will is for them. Do you pray that for each other? That's what we should be praying for each other. Dear Lord, I want the people of my church, I want my dear, dear brothers and sisters to be consumed with your will. Jesus taught us to pray that way. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did he not? Listen. Filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He's praying that they would grow in their learning and in their knowledge of God so much that they would be consumed by his will. Number two, verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. He's praying that they would walk worthy of the Lord. What does it mean to walk? He's talking about how you live your life, right? We've been over that many times. He is praying for their walk. He is praying for how they live, and he wants how they live to be worthy of the Lord, right? Worthy means what? Worthy means to take the worth of something and make it equal, right? It, it, it speaks of an appropriate link, an appropriate comparison between two things being made. One thing is worthy of the other. You go and you buy a used car. You try to haggle with the person so you can get to the point where it's what it's worth. And then you give that person the money and they give you the car. Right? Because the money and the car are supposed to be worthy of one another. Little illustration, you understand? So what he's saying is, your walk, I'm praying for you that how you live your life is up to par what it ought to be for someone who calls Jesus what? Lord. Walk worthy of the Lord. I'm praying for you that you walk worthy of the Lord. And you think, well, what is a walk that's worthy of the Lord? I'm glad you asked because he goes on to explain that. I'm praying for you that you would walk worthy of the Lord. Here's what a worthy walk looks like. Fully pleasing to him, fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, if you want to take that as a command for your life, 
and say, okay, I need to be fully pleasing to God. I need to be fruitful in every good work. And I need to increase in the knowledge of him. Good. That's fine. Take it that way. But that's not really what it is. It's a prayer request. It's not even a prayer request. He's telling them, this is what I pray for for you. I'm praying for you that you would have a walk worthy of the Lord. And here's what it'll look like. You're fully pleasing him. You're fruitful in every good work. And you're increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you pray that for each other? Dear Lord, grant to your brothers, my brothers and sisters, and pray it individually for people that you know that are brothers and sisters. Dear Lord, I I see Bob standing back there, so I'll pick him up. Dear Lord, I pray for Brother Bob that he would have a walk that's worthy of you. That he, would, that he would be fruitful in every good work. That he would increase, Lord God, in the knowledge of you. That he'd fully please you in everything in his life. Dear Lord, please grant that to my dear brother. We just start praying things like that for each other. Yeah. Get some life into the church. Right? And then the third thing he prays for is in verse 11 strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. That's, that's an that's a eloquent way of saying, I want God with his glorious power to strengthen you. And to strengthen you for something specific, which he also explains. What? For all patience and long-suffering. Now, he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, I'm praying for you that God will give you all strength by his power so you can patiently endure and and suffer long. No, what? With joy. With joy. Dear Lord God. Listen, the Christian life I just said before is Satan is trying to destroy us as we're trying to walk worthy and fulfill the promises, fulfill the purposes of God. And so, y'all are interested in this, right? I just want to make sure. This, I mean, this is Christian life. This, is, this has got nothing to do with, with anything that's going on out there. Well, it will when you leave here and go out there. Then you become, you become the, the, the living epistles of these things. But while you're here, this is about getting it in here, driving it down here, and then going out and living it out here. Pray for each other. Pray for each other that God would strengthen one another with all the strength that he's got by his power so that you can suffer long and, be, and patiently endure hardship with happiness, with joy. Lord, I know my brother's going through something hard. God, strengthen him that he might joyfully endure it until you bring him to the end of it, whatever the end may be. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a prayer. We've got to, we've, listen, we've got to hold each other up We've got to hold each other up before God. Here, Lord, my brother. Otherwise, they fall. We've got to hold each other up. If we don't hold each other up, we might crash and fall. We need each other. The Bible says of Christians, ready? We are members of one another. I'm a member of you. You're a member of me. We're members of each other. Like this hand is a member of this arm and this leg is a member of my head. We're all one body and we're all connected and we all need each other. Right? If I get a wound in my foot, 
and I don't properly treat it, the infection could actually cause my entire body to die. We have to hold each other up in prayer. Strength. And then verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, look at this, who has qualified us. See, we're not qualified to partake of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The saints in the light are Christians. Christians who used to be in darkness, but now through faith in Christ, they're in the light. God has qualified us to be one of them. How did he do that? Verse 13, he delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transported us. Look, took us from here and put us here. Took us out of the kingdom of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's Jesus in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, God. Dear God, thank you that the people of my church who have faith in you are saved. They have been delivered by you. They have been taken out of the kingdom of this world and transferred into your kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of your love, that beautiful Son, Lord Jesus, in whom we have redemption in his blood, the forgiveness of sins. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for my brother, Bob. Thank you for Sister April. Thank you for Sister Peely, for Deacon Chris, for Brother John. Thank you, Lord God, for Jimmy and Hector and Stacy and Angela and Donna and Steve. Well, no, not Steve. No, just kidding, kidding, kidding. Yes, yes. Wake up, Steve. And, 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 no, yes, thank you for Steve. And Phil and everybody, right? Just a little. He's, he didn't hear it anyway, so. Okay, so. But you get it? Thank you, God, that you saved my brothers and sisters. Thank you that you did it through Jesus. Listen, do you pray for each other like that? When's the last time you thanked God that just someone that you knew and you loved was saved? Thank you. God, thank you so much that dear brother Hector is saved. I know, listen, I know he loves you. And I know he tries to serve you. And I know he tries to lead his wife and his family. But Lord, above all, just thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that you have delivered him and transferred him from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of your love, that Lord Jesus in whom we have redemption in his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, God. And thank you that you have done it for every faithful brother and sister here in this church. This is some prayer right here. This is so, and listen, I'm telling you, I'm coming back next week and I'm giving you some more. The New Testament is filled with this stuff. Will you make it a commitment this week to pray for each other like this? Will you make it a commitment, a commitment? And like, and like, don't, and listen, can I tell you something? Don't say Lord willing. No, just say yes. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. I get tired of that. You know, it is God's will that you pray for each other. That's why it's in the book. So just pray. So just say yes and then do it. Let your yes be yes. Listen, you're not going to feel like praying every day, probably. But when you don't feel it, that's when you most need it. And that my soul knows very well. Pray for each other like this. If, if it feels a little too burdensome to name individual names, pray for the whole church. Like, I mean, that's what this is. This is a prayer for the whole church right here. He's not naming anybody. 
pray for Fellowship Bible Church. Let's have a week where we all pray like this for each other and see what God does. And he might not do anything that's visible next time we get together, but maybe he'll do some things that you'll know are going on in here and in here. Stand up. Let's close in prayer. More next week. Got a whole, much, whole bunch more. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you that we have had this time together today. Lord, thank you for leading me in my own life in these things. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, many of whom I know are very faithful and diligent in prayer. And I thank you for that. And I pray that we would all be thus and that we would pray these kinds of things for each other, Lord God that we would grow in the knowledge of your will, that we'd be fully pleasing to you, that we would walk worthy of you, Lord God. Thank you that you have saved us and taken us out of this doomed kingdom and put, put us into your eternal kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Dear Lord God, make it so in the life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience with us. But now, Lord, let us just say yes to you and go and pray and seek your face. Thank you for this time together today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's the end of our service.